Turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to wrap up our series through the book of 1 Timothy this morning, and we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, a lot of sermons get catchy titles, something that kind of grabs your attention. And this morning, our catchy title is Miscellaneous Charges. Doesn't that already start to, to well the Holy Spirit in you to hear the word miscellaneous? Doesn't that get you excited? As Timothy wraps, or as Paul wraps up his letter to Timothy, as this book is wrapping up, Paul has several things he wants to address that kind of summarize where he's been headed the entire letter. So if we're going to dive into chapter 6, and we're going to hear in just a moment, let us refresh our memory and what's going on, the, the context of this letter that Paul is writing to 1 Timothy. He's writing because... There are some within the church in Ephesus where Timothy is serving uh, as a pastor who are, are teaching a divisive doctrine. But we don't know exactly what it is, what, what the problem is, but what we do know is whatever they're teaching is causing divisions in the church. There are those who are standing on truth, and there are those who are fighting against it, and it's causing a rift. But we know it has something to do with being Jewish or being Gentile, but we don't know exactly what. We know there's some issues when it comes to, to certain widows, especially younger widows, who are taking advantage of the generosity of the church. And we know that it has something to do with Bible teaching and doctrine, but we don't know the details of it. So Timothy is written to specifically to address not only these false teachings, but more importantly, the sound doctrine that Timothy is supposed to stand up for and believe. And so Paul doesn't emphasize all that's wrong in Ephesians. Instead, he says, here's how you do things right. Here's how you get it correct. And so Paul goes and starts telling how men and women are to act in the church, how, how pastors and deacons are supposed to act in a church, and, and the character of the people within the church in the last couple chapters, we've kind of had this building sense of honor. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the honor that was given to widows. Last week, or two weeks ago, we looked at the, the double honor that's given to pastors and elders. And this morning, he's going to jump in to say uh, there's this, this greatest honor, all honor that is to be given to some. And as he does, he's wrapping up the theme and the emphasis of let's honor those who are following sound doctrine. Well, we're going to dive right into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And, and I'm going to go ahead and let you know as we read verses 1 and 2, th this is a particular portion of Scripture that unbelievers love to point to to discredit Scripture. And you'll know why once we read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they're fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Is this where you thought the full honor was going? Right? Is this where you really thought Paul was going to put all of his eggs in, show the full honor and full respect to, to this issue of slavery? Let's back up a little bit, and, and I, I cannot read this passage of Scripture without making very clear, abundantly clear, that God's Word affirms the value and dignity of all human life equally. 
every single human life, from the moment it's conceived to the moment the Lord calls it home, has equal value, dignity, worth, and life. And therefore, the Bible teaches very clearly, based on that value and dignity, that owning another individual is sin. So unless we get mixed up with what a secular world may want to accuse us of, let's denounce very publicly and very forcefully what Scripture denounces, and that is that slavery is wrong. It is sin. So why then does Paul write to masters and slaves and say, if you're under the yoke of slavery, your master deserves full honor? I also think it's really important for us to understand that this idea of racial slavery does not go back to biblical times. There has been racial slavery in the, uh, throughout the history of the world, but the slavery in the first century was not based on race. It was based on class and indebtedness. Still wrong, still sinful, still not something God values. However, there's this idea of indebtedness in slavery. So you didn't always become a slave because you were born a slave. Often you became a slave because you owed so much money to an individual that you could never repay. And so now you submitted your life to them. Often, not always, but often, biblical slavery was of the individual's doing because they had racked up a personal debt. Israel also had uh, an amazing, progressive, I would even say, view of slaves. So that every seven years, the debt and the sins of people against you was to be completely wiped out and forgiven. And every 50 years... So you had seven sets of seven years, and that 50th year was a year of jubilee and celebration where all debt and all, uh, all uh, sin was wiped completely clear. So slaves were not lifelong slaves in the culture of Israel. Every seven years, there was a forgiving of debt, and, and if it didn't work at seven years, at 50 years, it would be over. It would be ended. Now, when we look at this principle, these verses now come a little bit differently. If you are under the yoke of slavery, know that it's not permanent and it's not forever. But you are to serve those in authority over you and give them full respect. This doesn't have to be a slave and a master. This could be those in authority over you in any aspect of life. Some of you feel like at your job you're under a yoke of slavery my boss is on me all the time. You know what Paul would tell you? Give your boss full respect. Especially if he is a believer in Christ, you share a common eternal heritage. So give a respect to those in authority. I'll tell you where I struggle with this the most is when we talked about in Sunday school this morning, I get pulled over for going too fast. I don't really, really feel very respectful when I'm about to get a speeding ticket. What I've learned is as I'm getting pulled over, and your pastor has been pulled over more times than he cares to share with you this morning, as I'm getting pulled over and the cop is behind me, in my mind I'm always going, I'm going to tell him all the reasons why I'm late and why I've got to be going this fast and why I didn't do this and why I missed that. And, and I've got all this in my head and the cop rolls or has me roll down the window and I look at him and I go, I'm sorry, officer, what did you need? What was I doing? You know, I cower away in fear. I don't think that our authority needs to be feared as much as it needs to be respected. 
those in authority over us deserve a full respect, especially those who you share a faith in Christ with. So we have this building of honor and respect, and it comes to authority in general, and specifically, Paul says, a slave and a master authority. And then he says in the rest of verse 2, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. I believe this phrase is a summary for the letter. What you've learned so far, you teach these things. You insist on these things. You hold fast to the true and sound doctrine that Paul has given. Too often, we want to nitpick and try to figure out what we need to do and what we don't need to do, what we need to teach and what we don't need to teach, what we need to practice and what we don't need to practice. And Paul summarizes it by saying this, you teach the things that are sound to the Word of God. You live out the things that are sound to the Word of God. You insist on the things that are sound in the Word of God. Paul knows that the church of Ephesus is not following this fully. And that's why he's written the letter. Verses 3 through 5, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, they're conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malice talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Paul says not everybody's going to stand and live on sound doctrine. And there is a, an immediate correlation between what you believe about the Word of God and how you live. And when you stray from sound doctrine, all of these unhealthy interests start boiling up. Unhealthy controversies and quarrels all of this envy and strife and malicious talk, when you stray away from sound doctrine, you stray away from faithful living. What Paul is telling us is that a departure from doctrine is a departure from character. When you stop standing on the Word of God, when you let other things influence your thought, your mind, and your belief, your character will always follow. That's why Paul doesn't give us the details of the false teaching. That's why Paul doesn't focus in on all that's wrong in the church of Ephesus. Because he knows this, if you will get the doctrine right, the character will follow. And if you abandon the doctrine, you've abandoned the character. I grew up in South Florida. And in South Florida, I may be the only person who's ever grown up in Miami, Florida, who does not know how to water ski, but loves to snow ski. I don't know how that happened, other than I still to this day cannot get up on a pair of water skis. But every year, we would go up to North Carolina, a church youth group. We'd have a retreat up there around Valentine's Day every year, and we'd ski for three or four days, and it's one of my favorite things to do. I've not done it in a while. It's so much fun. Learning how to ski was an adventure, though. I don't know if you guys are skiers or if you've ever tried to ski. Some people pick it up like that. Some people never do get it, and that's okay. Uh, my sister spent her whole time skiing every year, not on her feet, but on her butt, sitting on the back of the skis like a sled. When she stopped, she fell over. One of the most important things I did in learning how to ski was take ski lessons. And probably the biggest 
lesson I learned taking ski lessons was how not to crash into trees. This is a pretty important lesson to learn. For a while, I would be crashing into people or objects and have to fall over to keep until the ski instructor told me one trick, and it stuck with me for skiing and for life. He says, your feet and your skis will naturally follow where your eyes go. Don't look at the tree, look at the open space. If your eyes are focused on the open space, your feet will naturally go that direction. Don't look at the, the people skiing, look at the space between the people. I think this is a great ski lesson and a great lesson for life. When our eyes are focused on the sound doctrine of God's word, when our eyes are focused on the truth of Scripture, our feet and our actions naturally follow. A departure from sound doctrine will lead to an immediate departure of character. To put it in a positive light, Paul goes on in verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That is, if you can follow the teachings of Scripture and be content with what God has given you, your character will follow. He says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's, it's strange that through the whole letter he's talking about character and actions, and in chapter 6 it gets right to the wallet. You know where people often stray, where they take their eyes off of God's word is when it affects their pocketbook. I've seen this time and time again. I've been blessed in my ministry to do about eight weddings, uh, or been asked to do eight weddings. I've performed five weddings. I've been asked to do eight. And in, in several of them, I've been uh, asked to do the wedding and been unable to because of a living situation that Scripture disagrees with. And I have a policy Several of those times, it's not been an issue, as a matter of fact. Uh, one of the weddings I did not do, um, they were perfectly willing to be conformed to God's word, and they ended up not married, and that's okay. But where it affects the pocketbook was one gentleman who came and asked me to perform his wedding. He said, I, I want you to marry me and my fiance. Um, we're going to get married. It was about a year from the date he asked me. And I asked him, like I do every couple that comes to me, well, yeah, as a Christian minister, I have a policy to only do Christian weddings. And that means that, that I think you should start your relationship off living according to what the Bible says and not living together. And he said, well, I, I can't do that. Me and my fiance have to live together because financially we can't afford our own place. Uh, but as long as we are able to, to live together, we can we can make it work. And we talked through that because that was a real struggle. Well, come to find out through this conversation, he actually did not want me to do their wedding. Maybe this was his way of getting around. He said, I want you to know, I want you to do the wedding ceremony, but we're not going to the courthouse to get married. So what do you, what do you mean? You're not going to fill out the paperwork? And he said, no. He said, we want to be married in name, but not according to the government, so we each get our own separate checks from disability. I said, now, wait a second. This, this is not lining up with what God's Word says. God's Word says you commit to each other and no one else. 
And he could not get over this idea that it would cost him more to be married than unmarried, and he was more willing to follow a check than he was the Word of God. That's kind of a silly example and a silly illustration, and maybe you look at that and say, how would anybody think that way? But I tell you, we have in our own church people who will follow their pocketbook before they'll follow the Word of God. I believe that to be true. I know this to be true because I, I see our budget, and our finance board just presented us a budget that said we're at, at a, a this percent giving. I had a treasurer at my last church who would say every time he presented, presented a budget, he would say there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that we have enough money at this church to cover this budget two or three times over. The bad news is it's still sitting in your pocket. Always struck me. Can you imagine if we obeyed the word of God in giving our tithes and offerings, the ministry that could be done through First Baptist Church? Just think for a minute that VBS would never have to hold back on their budget. Think about the mission trips we could do that could be paid for by the church. Think about the, the outreach we could invest in if people faithfully gave according to the word of God. Now search your own heart and ask, what's more important? Is it more important to follow the word of God or follow a pocketbook? This verse, verse 10, is a very commonly misquoted but very important verse. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. But man, the temptation of your wallet often separates your doctrine and your character from faithfulness. Paul says, if you depart from what Scripture says, your character will soon follow. I'm amazed at how often we stray from the Word of God and our feet follow along. He continues on in verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. How are we going to uphold righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Can I tell you, a lot of the qualifications given in 1 Timothy make me throw up my hands and say, I just, I don't think I can do it. The standard is too high. Do you find yourself failing often to live out the Christian life? You know what God wants you to do, but you just struggle to actually put it into practice. You want to be a man of God, a woman of God, who pursues righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness, but you find yourself lacking in one or all of these areas. How is it that we live up to the standard God calls us to live up to? Well, if the, the negative statement is that a departure from doctrine is a departure from character, then the positive statement is the sound doctrine of Scripture will always lead you to faithfulness. The sound doctrine of Scripture leads to faithfulness. How do you live the Christian life? How do you live out all the things that Paul is telling us to do? Do you do it by, by creating a list and figuring out the good things you do and the bad things you do and weighing them out and trying to, to outbalance good with bad? Do you, do you try to go out of your way to be nice and kind and serve? And, or do you pursue the doctrine of Scripture. How transformed would our church be if we just started reading the Bible and living it out? That was it. 
No fancy program. No fancy meetings and outreaches and no fancy budget line item. No fancy any program. Just the people of First Baptist Church opening up the Bible and saying, God, what do you want me to do with this today? How do you want me to live this out in this moment? How transformed would our church be if we followed sound doctrine above all else? The character of the people of the church, the character of our church as a whole would be stronger and faithful. Paul writes to Timothy in verses 12 through 16, encouraging words, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Notice Paul's emphasis to Timothy does not delve towards the do and do not. It delves towards who God is and what God does. This morning, if you feel like you're lacking in your faith, if you feel like you've fallen away or maybe never experienced faith in Christ to begin with, the answer is not making a list of things to do and not to do. The answer is focusing your eyes and your attention on the one who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable and holy light. To the one who, although he cannot be seen, deserves honor and might forever. The answer to our struggles is not a list. It's a book. And the Word of God tells us that we are to, to immerse ourselves in sound doctrine and our character will follow. Paul closes out this book to Timothy by saying not only live this out, but it's important that other people know how to live it too. So step one, and I want you to hear this clearly, church, step one is to get your own heart and right, or life right before God. Study the Word of God and live it out. But can I tell you, if you do that perfectly the rest of your life, you still are lacking if you're the only one it influences. So Paul tells Timothy to make sure to encourage others to pursue faithful lives as well. Did you know if you're following the Word of God perfectly, then you'll be discipling someone? You'll be leading people to Christ and talking to them about how they can study the Word of God? And if you're not doing that, if you're not teaching that, if you're not pursuing faithful lives and teaching others to do the same, you're lacking in the commands of Scripture. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul tells Timothy, look around at the people who you see in your church and in your community. 
What are they pursuing and where are their eyes focused? Are their eyes on sound doctrine or are they following with their character and their faithfulness? Are their eyes distracted? You, Timothy, you have a responsibility to tell them there is so much more to this life than the things they're chasing. There's so much more to this world than the riches or wealth they're pursuing. There's so much more to this world than the struggle that they're embracing. There's an eternal hope, a future hope. Paul says, Timothy, command them to follow sound doctrine as well. He closes out the book in verses 20 and 21. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. That is, don't follow the divisive spirit in Ephesus. Some have professed, and in so doing, they have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. His last words are, Timothy, don't fall trap to the false doctrine. Don't listen to the godless chatter. Don't put your faith and trust in what's being said. Focus on the word of God. These miscellaneous charges may have hit a lot of different areas this morning, from masters to slavery and authority, to finances and money, to to faithfulness and character, but all of it is screaming the same thing. God wants all of your life immersed in all of his word. God's desire is that you pursue the truth of Scripture. And in knowing what Scripture teaches, live it out based on its commands. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, which teaches us how we are to live our lives. Father, we confess to you and ask forgiveness for focusing on circumstances and things for chatter and gossip, for, for worldly gain and financial selfishness. Father, we pray for wanting things our way. Or we confess to you that there's often times we give part of our life. Father, this morning we don't want to put our eyes on what we're doing and what we're not doing. We don't want to put our eyes on how we think we should live or a list of, of do's and don'ts. Father, we, we want to fix our eyes on you on the truth of your word. Lord, when we study your word, our character and our actions will follow. Father, let us be people who know the word of God and know it well. Let us be people who live it out in faithfulness because of our desire to please you. Father, we pray because there are people sitting in these pews right now who are struggling in their faith or they've put their eyes on other things Lord, convict our hearts. Lord, convict where we spend our time, where we spend our money, where we spend our energy. Father, let us be faithful to your word and your word alone. Father, I thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you've given us complete forgiveness, a new life, a fresh start. We pray that we would open up your word and let you lead us in this new life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.